Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking ucks? What the fucking knots? What the fuck ever you want to call yourselves? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. I hope you're well. I am okay. It's late here. It's dark. And I only have one light on in here. I have one light on in the garage. And it's sort of a mood light. And I'm going to try to give you the juice you need. I'm going to, I'm in a reflective mode. Can I mention first, Ahmed Ahmed is on the show today. Can I also mention that Ahmed Ahmed, after all the years I've been doing this, all almost two years I've been doing WTF, Ahmed Ahmed, I believe, was the first guest in my recollection, perhaps I'm wrong, Ahmed Ahmed uh, brought me some peacock feathers for my cats and some coffee and a travel mug. Very thoughtful. Uh, obviously, I get lots of beautiful gifts from you, the fans. I can't even begin to list anymore uh, how, what to be grateful for. The ceramics, the cat toys, uh, the cakes, the pies. Whoever gave me those goddamn pumpkin whoopie pies, I almost killed myself with joy and then and then remorse, but then joy again a little bit. Those were genius, genius. And then another guy in Las Vegas brought me a bag of regional gifts from the Rhode Island area. Whoever knew that there was regional gifts from Rhode Island? Uh, there was some Johnny Cake mix, some lemonade mix, some sort of coffee syrup. Wonderful. Everything that you give me is great. The cat postcard of the Cezanne paintings with the little cats in them. I don't know how I became this guy, but I do want to tell you that I certainly appreciate it. Now, the cat toys, oddly, not unlike the baked goods, are they're not becoming an issue because I, you can always use more cat toys. I know this is a ridiculous thing to talk about, but I'm, I guess I'm ridiculous. I could not understand. My cats, who are nuts... LaFonda and Monkey inside are always tweaky, always freaking out, always uh, a little on edge, adorable, but nuts. They are a little adverse to you approaching them with love. They will accept love when they decide to approach you in need of it. Whatever. They're nutty cats. But lately, they've been acting so fucking hilarious, playing with each other, laying around on their backs, which is always fun to watch a cat do, completely casual, very affectionate, and I'm thinking, what the hell's going on? Are they dying? And then I realized, because you guys give me so many catnip toys, I have catnip toys. Catnip toys are all over the house. These cats are fucking high. They're high all the fucking time. Of course they're full of love and and, and hilarity and, and good times. They're wasted. I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I, I just don't know. I, are they going to, if I start picking up the cat toys, are they going to start jonesing and tweaking and acting aggravated, perhaps lashing out, biting me? I, I'm now I'm afraid they're hooked. I have to, I, now I need a constant flow of catnip and cat toys in order to keep my cats happy and high. I don't, I can't believe it took me this long to, to, to figure this out. That maybe catnip toys are supposed to be a treat. They're not supposed to be a way of life. Well, now my cats are wasted. They're junkies. They're junkies because of you. But I love you for that because at least it's not me. I'm not a junkie. I can only eat so many cakes. What I've been reflecting on is is getting older. Now, I don't want to be a bore. Uh, I'm not an old man by any means. I can be honest about my age. I'm 47 years old. 
And I'm having these moments where I really feel like I don't, and I think I've talked about this before, some things just don't fucking matter anymore. And it's such a goddamn relief, I can't begin to tell you. I get these emails from kids ages 13 to 35. I'm fucked. Yeah, I got relationship problems. I can't get laid. I can't talk to anybody. I want to do stand-up. If I, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it. What should I do? Uh, please help me. Yeah, And then, of course, I get a lot of letters from people saying that I make them feel better, which I, I think is something I never thought I would be able to do, and I'm, I'm grateful to do that. But I got to tell you, all that the, the petty stuff, the little things that you're driving yourself crazy about, they're not going to fucking matter at all. I, I keep having this moment. I, I, I feel like I've talked about this before, but I had this moment on the plane. Do you ever have those moments where all of a sudden you know exactly who you are and what you're doing, at what point in your life you're in, and you get this weird, honest moment of clarity of who you are? Sometimes it happens in the mirror, and you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, holy shit, when did I get my dad's body? When did I become like my father? When all, how come all of a sudden I have gray temples? Why is my face starting to look like that? There are moments where I don't see that because I don't think I change at all. And then if I look at a picture or I look at my stomach or I look at my ass and I'm like, holy fuck, it's happening. And there's not a goddamn thing I can do about it. What am I going to be one of those guys who dyes my hair what, and have that weird black hair that, that doesn't match your, your head or your skin or anything? It's just this weird dyed black hair. I'm not going to do that. What am I going to get my eyes pulled back? Am I going to put Botox in my face? Am I gonna am I gonna have uh muscles implanted? No, I'm gonna go to the gym and, and just fight the good fight. But the weird thing is I'm starting to accept it. You know, honestly though, honest can I be honest with you? If I got a double chin, I would you mind if I got it removed? I, I just don't want it. I don't want my chin to disappear. Is that vain? Like the flap? I don't want the flap. I have a fear of the flap. I just can't I, I don't think I'm I, obviously I'm vain, but what I'm trying to tell you is a lot of that is starting to relax. It's a fucking miracle. I'm fucking halfway okay with it. I'm halfway okay with aging because I don't think about dying and I realize that aging is inevitable. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just giving up on that. I'm, I'm going to let it go. Is that all right if I just let it go? If I just let it go and enjoy my life and enjoy this girl I'm with? But please, God, please, if I get a flap under my face, I got to get rid of the flap. You got, you got to let me do that. Is it wrong to ask you guys permission for a future flap removal? I just don't want to have that thing under there. Is it happening? I'm going to hit my chin. I'm hitting under my chin right now. Because I don't want to live with that. Did I tell you about uh, going to John Benjamin's premiere? Uh, John Benjamin has a show on Comedy Central. It's a new series. It's called John Benjamin Has a Van. And it's fucking hilarious. I just uh, spent some time with John on the live WTF from the Bell House. Not sure when that's going up, but I will get it up soon. Uh, but it's funny, man. And John is very plays it straight, plays it hard, and uh, and is is a bit. Uh, it's not dark. He's just you know John's got that way about him. But uh, the premiere of John Benjamin has a van on Comedy Central. Uh, they're going to do two nights, two episodes. That's uh, that's next Tuesday and Wednesday, June fourteenth and fifteenth. Two nights, two episodes. 10.30, 9.30 Central. John Benjamin has a van on Comedy Central. It's fucking hilarious. There are some truly beautiful moments in it. Now, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the flap. No flap. Is that okay? That's, that's the last vestige of my vanity. That and 
uh, that's not true. Jesus, there's so much. There's so much. I'm working on letting it go. God damn it. I'm not complaining about getting old, but man, sometimes you see really old people and you have that moment. I'm like, oh, that's, that's coming. But I'm sure they're thinking like, I'm good. I can, I can make it. I've got to learn how to appreciate it. I've got to learn how to appreciate old people. I have to talk to them more. Can we all make a decision to do that and spend some time with some old people in a way that's not condescending, in a way that it's not like, you know, we have to do it. They have things to tell us. Depending on their temperament, it could go anywhere from, this is what I learned from my 80 years on earth and it's enlightening to, it's not worth it. Not worth it. Look at this flap. Look at it. Okay. Good talk. Good talk. Wait a minute. So wait, how old are you, dude? <laughs> I'm 40, sadly enough. So I'm 47. Oh, really? So oh, really? When... You don't look 47. That's good. I fucking feel fat, dude. When I hit 40, it was like game over for me. Really? I just, you know, I woke up on my 40th birthday. <laughs> yeah. This is no joke. I woke up on my 40th birthday and... I just fell back to sleep. It was like something physically just changed at 40. Really? 30 it changed, but then 40 was like physical breakdown. Like Knees, what do you mean? Really? Just bad back. You know, but like all the traveling and stuff plays into that too, but just all the sort of, you know, the kinks. You get all the kinks. I didn't I didn't get that. You know, I mean, I was in pretty good shape and now like I just been eating like a pig cuz I've been on the road. <laughs> but were you an athlete or something? Younger I was. Younger I played like football. I was never that good. Uh, I didn't have the heart for football, but I played soccer. I was decent at soccer. I was okay at basketball. Baseball, I was all right. Um, but you were a sports guy. Yeah, I mean, so I wasn't, I wasn't the, diehard. But maybe you beat the fuck out of yourself. Well, that it was, you know, that and, and, and uh, you know, just stupid little accidents. Like, uh, we, were, we, were, we were just playing touch football, and I broke my collarbone. You know, stuff like all that. Right. The traveling. Yeah. You know, sitting. It's not like I'm flying business and first all the time. And you're flying to places like Dubai and Egypt. <laughs> if you're not flying well, first, to when I fly, Dubai. yeah, when I, when I go overseas, I, I I require business at least. But now, when it's domestic, I'll take these economy flights and they stink because I'm six two and my you know my oh, long yeah, legs yeah. and you're all cramped up next to people you don't know. And it's yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Right. It's horrible for guys that are regular height. Psychologically, it messes with. It you breaks too. you, man. You're, <laughs> <laughs> it's like being held hostage. It's like uh, it's like uh, psychological terrorism. So I didn't mean to bring that well, up. Comedian. Well, thank you. Thanks yeah, for, I, thanks, I mean, for, thanks for that reference. I know that. Is your name <laughs> really sensitive. Ahmed? Ahmed. It's sensitive when you bring that up. <laughs> yeah, my name is Ahmed Ahmed. They got our leader. <laughs> they got him finally. Ahmed Ahmed. What kind of how? What, what is that? Some sort of joke? By the way, Ahmed Ahmed is in my garage. Both Ahmeds are here. Me and my alter ego. Thanks for That's, having me. This is fun, man. Yeah, but well, your parents said Ahmed Ahmed? My parents, I'll tell you the backstory. It's kind of boring, but I'll break it down for you. My my mom and dad, I'm from Egypt. Yeah. My parents are, they were Do born. Do you still have family there? Still have family there. What's going on over there? Uh, winning. <laughs> we revolted and overthrew the government. So you're part of the we that did that? <laughs> I technically wasn't, but I think my my presence maybe. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, my, my family lives outside of where all that happened, but. 
It was this historical. In the thing. suburbs? They, 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 they're you're not from uh, Cairo. There, there aren't really suburbs in Cairo. It's like little towns and villages. Yeah, yeah. They, they live in a village. But they were of, affected by it. I have to assume. Yeah, there were like looters in their in their little village, and they had you know people, kids, and uh, you know men were standing outside with like knives and pitchforks. But were they anti Mubarak? Or were they just the, sort the of looters? You're, you're, well, the looters were just uh, the looters. You know, well, you know, taking you know, advantage of a situation. Yeah, you know what happened? They let they they released like a thousand prisoners, mm-hmm. and so they were running you know wild in the streets of Cairo, that's killing like, people that, and looting. That, that's that sounds like a funny song, running wild in the streets of Cairo. Yeah, write it. Um, it'll be a country song or a reggae song. <laughs> right, right. Uh, no, so the, so so there's a lot of that happening, but I don't know if those guys were. They were probably anti-Mubarak. But your Mubarak family, though. I mean, that, whatever relatives you have there. I think the, the younger generation in our family was a little bit... The You're old... talking like you don't know your family. Do you have actual family well, that you know? Well, my there? family over there, yeah. the younger, like the, you know, the sort of 30 and under, yeah. they're more, you know, this modern generation yeah. coming of age, yeah. whereas like the older... Like when I talk to my parents about it, I'm like, what do you think of this Mubarak thing? And they're like, well, you know, we grew up with him. <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. know. We're over here in America watching the news. Who knows yeah, really what's going yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that kind of thing. So yeah. they're sort of misinformed. But Egypt overall completely, you know, I'd say like 80% of Egypt, uh, which consists of 85 million almost, yeah. were anti-Mubarak because he was, and that's how every other country. They're like, was, if they can do it. <laughs> yeah, all the other people, oh, if they can do it, we can, we can do it. Do it. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's see if they get away with it first. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. And they did, and then yeah. boom, chain yeah. reaction, Jordan, Syria, Yemen. Yeah. Yeah. Even they were going to revolt in Saudi, but the Saudi government paid off, you know, they paid everybody. They said, here's 2,000 bucks, don't. don't Isn't that amazing don't. that they have that much money to pay off everyone yeah. not to fight? Yeah, yeah and there's, ah, tw- there's, tw- there's 24 million people in Saudi. I don't really know the politics of the whole situation, but uh, so when did your parents come here? My parents immigrated. Well, to go back to the name issue, yeah. my my uh, my name is is actually pronounced Ahmed Abu Bakr Ahmed Muhammad Ali Abdul Wahab Kawadia. And you chose not to go with that as a stage name. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm not. I can't <laughs> get what, I can't get repre- representation with it. That's what. That's a lot, That's a little complicated. How do you put that on your headshot? Yeah, I better tighten this up. It's like all, it yeah, goes yeah, all over the yeah. the corners of the headshot. Um, so and and that's it's sort of like in Mexican families and stuff. They always uh, family take names. the father's name yeah. and just keep adding it so you can keep the. You know, tracing your roots, and um, so when my dad went down to the immigration office to get my papers, they're like, "Sir, you know, bit there's, much. There's no room." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but my mother and him decided to call me Ahmed or Ahmed in Arabic, yeah. which means it's short for Muhammad, which means thank God or yeah. one one who thanks God. Yeah. And so um, then my dad, my parents immigrated to uh, to the states. Uh, where they end up? Well, we started in Downey, actually. Yeah. In this little one-bedroom apartment. Then we uh, ended up in L.A. for a minute. How old were you? I was a month old. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was like a Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, we're going to America. <laughs> I'm mad, I'm mad. Um, and then we ended up in Riverside, California, which is where I was raised. And we were the only Arab family, not only on the block, but in the whole... Almost the whole city, really. So how they how they but yeah how they come up with the two Ahmeds? He just shortened everything after yeah. uh, the first well, Ahmed. To well, Ahmed? the last name is uh, the last family name that he's using is is Ahmed. So okay. So they said Ahmed. So your name was already Ahmed, right? Well, Ahmed Abu Baker Ahmed. It's technically my my th- my first middle and, and last name. So there you are, growing up in Riverside, all white. <laughs> what is that? Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, Latino. We were. Yeah. It was interesting because we we ended up in this little like cool little suburb yeah. outside of you know. Uh, L.A. and Riverside, and um, close to the college campus, UCR. Mm-hmm. 
it was very um like middle class and a little bit lower middle class mostly white families but then our high school was really racially diverse we yeah had black mexican yeah uh asian and we were sort of considered like the thug high school like you know athletes would come and do really well there but there was, all, there was also some gang violence and that sort of thing right but i when i was in high school you know i was i blended in perfectly like nobody really they were like you know what is it where are you from like they didn't really you mean understand. if you didn't say your name even when I'd say my name and they'd, they'd hear Egypt, they were always sort of mystified by it. You yeah. Know? And I'd get the little jokes like, you know, did you come in on your flying carpet and did you did you climb a pyramid and yeah. do you have camels and like all those jokes gene- have changed now. Generic, yeah. Now it's like, do you fly planes? <laughs> <laughs> do you not? Are you good? Are you good? At, are you good in chemistry? You know? Yeah. <laughs> do, do you use fertilizer every day? <laughs> yeah. Um, how many wives do you have? Uh huh. So, um, so it. Um, it didn't really they it was sort of like this weird thing like my like my parents they'd come over like like the kids would come over you know to my house and and, and this is a joke i used to do because it's a true story one of my friends walked in and my parents were praying and he looked at me and he said what are they looking for <laughs> and i was like i go oh they're well they're praying and he's like to who and i'm yeah. like so it's for, i always had to explain what islam was uh-huh. and talk about you know the the belief of it all behind it and then, um, but then there was times. Are when, they like, still religious? Yeah, they're actually in my film, um, and my dad actually steals the movie, which I'll t- tell you li- about yeah. later. But uh, they're not like extremists. They're pr- they're very like. I didn't open-minded. suggest that. Why are you so paranoid? <laughs> I'm not paranoid. Uh, you just said religious. I'm freaking religious. Extremist? No, but I mean, extremist is different. You know, I mean, religious means they just. In my head, I heard extreme. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're, uh, they're, they're, they are religious. What are they up to, your parents, is what yeah. I'm asking you on that. Uh, who's asking, Mark? I, I, I'm <laughs> representing the white people of the world. Can we edit this part? Yeah. <laughs> this is getting really uncomfortable. I feel like I'm on I'm on trial here yeah. on Mark Maron's podcast. I know that you're fronting as a comedian, Ahmed Ahmed. Right. I actually have a whole second uh, life back home <laughs> with several sleeper cells. <laughs> Uh, plotting against the infidels of America. So, so they are. So they still practice. Yeah, they, I, I just never they, know with the with with uh, Islam. Do like are there lapsed Muslims? Are there Muslims that are sort of? Of course there are. What am I thinking? You're probably yeah. one. you don't pray every day, do no, you? I pray in here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> yeah, that's what people I do. I, I actually do pray. I don't do the actual physical Muslim prayer. Yeah, all but the time. then you just have that. You just half assing it, man. Yeah, well, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, hey, in in the eyes of a true Muslim, then and the, by the by the way, I get criticized quite a bit by my own. By my own religious uh, you know, graphic, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, and- you should see. You should go to the YouTube clips. There's uh, there's one clip on YouTube uh, referencing this. There's a joke that I when I reference going to Dubai. Yeah, um, it's very schizophrenic because right. you go down to the beach, you'll see Muslim women wearing you know the scarves, yeah. the hijab. Yeah. Then you'll see European men in speedos. Yeah. You'll see a mosque right across the street from the mosque. There's a nightclub. Yeah. So eight around eight o'clock every night, you hear the call for prayer. La, yeah. And then you hear the. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, right. It's all the Muslims are confused. Should I go pray? Should I go dance? Uh-huh. There's this sort of, uh-huh. you know, weird dichotomy. And the joke ended up on our Axis of Evil, you mm-hmm. know, Comedy Central right. special, which we filmed in the states, but it ended up on a DVD, eventually on YouTube. And I kept on taking it down, and people kept on putting it back up. So I just left it up. Right. And I think there's about. How many hits are on that thing? Like a couple hundred thousand hits. Yeah. But there's about 500 comments. A yeah. full-blown international argument going on over, really? over this joke. Yeah. What, it's are, they, almost what are the sides? You know, 
this guy's not a real Muslim. He will burn in hell. Allah will have his wrath on him. Yeah. You know, some people were like, I think it's funny. How do I book him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just so, you know. But there's and, a lot of angry Muslim reaction. Then, well, then you'll see like Jews and Christians, you know, file in. Right. You know, and there's a whole religious like, you know. It's the Mideast war. on your YouTube page. Well, it's, it's also just straight up Americans that are just chiming in and saying, hey, man, you know, I've been in Dubai. I'm in the, I'm in the military. I was there. It's not, yeah. all, it's not all, you know. Uh, and you were just drawing attention to it. I, I mean, accidentally. Well, I was reporting what, no, the news. I, right. That's but, what we do. We, we report the news. Yeah. Sometimes. Or complain or complain about something. So they we were see. they were literally offended by the suggestion that Muslims were confused as to what to do. Yeah, and and you know, not all Muslims would go to nightclubs. You know that right, joke. Right. Got, that joke got me banned in Dubai for a year. By who? By the authorities in Dubai. What, who are they kidding? They know what they're sitting on over there. Somebody showed them the clip and said, look at this guy. He's making fun of our, our city, and he's, blas he's blasphemous toward Islam. And um, they they rejected my... Maz will tell you. Maz was... Uh, I, I was, talked to him already. Yeah, he was... He was. Uh, we were going out there together to do shows, and, and my passport was rejected. Because... The, well, that would, would that be an example? I don't know what the government of Dubai is like, but is that them buckling to Muslim extremists within their country or, or muslim orthodox muslims saying look you know are they riding that fine line yeah, between I, having a western style party town and honoring a, a a muslim nation uh ideology joking about it is what is what angers them uh -huh. so if you joke about it there's a, which there's, means if you draw attention to the fact right yeah uh-huh see there's a you know it's it's funny because in dubai um cocaine is illegal but you can get a hooker Right, <laughs> you know, sure. Hooker's like, old school. Hooker's great. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that's cocaine, right. no, no. But and and if you get caught with cocaine, it's like fifteen years in jail. It's mm. like a really extreme thing. But um, the the weird thing about that place is, and 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 all the sort of what they call the GCC, the Gulf countries, which is Saudi, Dubai, uh, Oman, uh, Qatar, Kuwait, all the oil countries. Basically, <clears throat> they have this very strict sort of don't touch islam in any way when you're when we're doing your comedy so whenever you reference it and make light of it or humor of it it's considered um forbidden but it, is that but it seems to me that a lot of them are sort of accommodating some western tastes and there's more of a western influence in some of those countries but yet you know publicly they have to hold this party line to, to to so they don't have to deal with any shit. Right. I mean, I'll give you I'll give you an example. A few about a month and a half ago, I was asked to do this uh, a private corporate event in Dubai. Like eight hundred people showed up. It's this big Amir. Was shake. it just you? It was just me. I was hosting. Because Maz has got a story about one of these. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. what happens? Well, uh, you know, you go out there. I, I, there's a couple different stories. Like when I first of all, like when I got banned in Dubai, um, I wasn't allowed to perform public shows for a year. Right. They eventually unlifted the. Uh, lifted the ban um was there an announcement did people cheer in the streets <laughs> yeah people yeah. were my people were marching i had flags with my face on it <laughs> yeah okay um no i was getting in uh, i was getting booked to do a lot of private events by who just like random like bankers or people and they'd they'd fly you out first class and you'd show up at the four seasons golf course uh-huh so sebastian came with us on one of these and i uh -huh. think uh, in Mars actually yeah and you show up and, you know, the car service picks you up and you're out there on the golf course with the Four Seasons and there's about 50 men sitting there with their wives smoking cigars and, you know, drinking Johnny Walker oh Black. Oh, my God. And, and they're on these lounges and there's servants everywhere and 
you know, before he go up, the promoter, the, the organizer would come up to me and, you know, he's like this wealthy, filthy, rich guy, you know, and he's like, Ahmed, very nice to meet you. Thanks for coming to our uh, event. We are so happy you're here. By the way, I heard your band in Dubai. Is it true? Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. And they're like, that's so fucking cool, man. <laughs> man, like, here you can say whatever you want, okay? Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. And he pats you on the back and uh-huh. you walk away and you're like, wow. And did you? And then, you, and then yeah, you go up and you just let loose and then they give you, you know, I mean, the, the paydays are nice over there. Sure. They got plenty of money, apparently. Yeah. But, but uh, did you ever perform for any royalty? Yeah, we, uh, uh, Maz and I did, we've done shows in front of the King of Jordan, him and Queen Rania attended you know, one of our shows. See, I, I talked to Maz Jobrani and, and I neglected to get that story. So why don't you share with me what that was like? <laughs> it's, well, it's kind of a fascinating story. Because his mother, Noor, right, yeah. is American. British, I think. British. Yeah. And, and his, the father's Jordanian. Yeah. And he, and I always thought that the father was, he seemed like a pretty cool guy to me. You know, I'll tell you a couple interesting things. Was his name was Hussein as well, right? Yeah. The King of Jordan. Okay, well, first of all, we did when we did Access of Evil. Um Now, can you tell me what the fuck happened between you and Cater? Uh well, you know, we just went our different ways all creatively. Right. I don't I I I wish him the best. I think he's a funny guy. Yeah. You know, just out of the three, he seems to have a chip on his shoulder. All right. You know, what, okay. what I mean, you know, that's his own. He's got his own all right. journey. Of Ma, yeah. Well, Maz and I, you know, Maz and I you and Jabrani are still friends. Maz and I are, yeah, we're, we're thick as thieves. Yeah. You know, the thing about Maz, and we've had our head, you know, butts and sure. disagreements on stuff, but the thing about Maz and I at the end of the day is we respect each other. Right. Even if we don't agree on stuff. Whereas, right. Whereas with Aaron, sometimes, almost all the time, there was always, always an acidic, you know, vicious comeback or, you know, right. regret or some sort of. Uh, and, yeah, it happens. And, and it happens. And when you, you know, as you know, when you're touring with comics, we're very much individual. Yeah you know spirits yeah we're not really team we're not known to be team it's not a team sport not usually not usually but (laughs) if you can find that chemistry with a bunch of comics it's great and with us fortunately it started that way and then when we started to become a little bit you know we had we were starting to get some wind in our sail well you're egyptian american maz is uh persian american and aaron is palestinian american correct and Mitzi put us together, in fact, as, sure. the, as the Arabian Nights originally, and then we kind of we switched the name to Axis of Evil because Maz is Iranian. And then, okay, so you're performing for the King of so, Jordan. So we so we did we did this we did this uh, we set up these tours um, in the Middle East. Well, I pitched the idea, and they bought it, and then Aaron and Aaron and Maz flew out <clears throat> for it. And originally, we had two shows booked in Jordan mm-hmm. uh, by this radio station and they sold out so fast they added two more shows. Mm-hmm. So I was in touch with Showtime Arabia in Dubai and I said, hey, we just sold out four shows in Jordan. They were about to air our Comedy Central special on Showtime over there yeah. like in a month. Yeah. So I was like, do you guys want to Johnny on the spot, jump on this bandwagon, let's piggyback Jordan and do four other metropolitan, you know, Cosmo yeah. countries in the Middle East. And What were those countries? Uh, Egypt, uh, Lebanon, Dubai and you were looking for sponsorship from Showtime they they sponsored it uh-huh. they sponsored the tour so we ended up doing we were supposed to do two shows in each country who knew Showtime was there yeah <laughs> I, know, I mean you right? know, it's like you always it always surprised me it's like I thought this was ours yeah <laughs> no I, if you go over there you, you've never been over there I and mean, it's everything's American TGI Fridays McDonald's Nike well, I, I, I noticed that in uh, China that the only thing yeah. I really recognized you know on the landscape of signs was the KFC bucket mm-hmm. yeah yeah, it's Taco Bell and KFCs all over the yeah. Middle East. McDonald's, Coca Cola, but yeah. um, 
the the demand was so high because right around then YouTube ha had sort of emerged uh -huh. and a lot of people in the Middle East were on YouTube and Facebook was bigger over there at that time than it was here. Yeah. Like everybody in the Middle East was on Facebook. Right. So people were creating Facebook events page. Hey, Access of Evil's coming to Lebanon. Boom, 5,000 people would join. Hey, they're coming to Dubai. Boom, 5,000 people would join. We ended up doing 27 sold out shows in 30 days. Oh my God. In, in five countries. And they were queuing around the corner. Tickets were on the black market for like 500 bucks. Uh-huh. US. Uh-huh. Um, we shot it. When you say black market, I picture someone selling explosives and <laughs> tickets to your show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I got really good uh, explosives. Yeah. AK-47 yeah. and, and tickets. two tickets to Access of Evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. That's a, that's a, that'd be a funny sketch. Yeah. But, Knock uh, yourself out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yours. You. Yeah. Oh, thanks, yeah. Mark. <laughs> you bet. Thank you. I'll just put this right here in yeah, my pocket. Take it. Take um, it home with you. No, so, so uh, and then Showtime filmed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up being a like a twelve part mini series on Showtime Arabia, and the whole Middle East saw it. So we were uh, immediately. That's fascinating. Like, like these. What do you mean? Uh, 12, how was it a twelve part mini series? They shot. They shot all this footage, and they cut it into. They cut. Um, of you guys doing the same act over and over again? No, we. Well, here, here's 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 the dilemma. Originally, our agreement was they were going to do six half hour episodes, and they'd use, uh, like. A couple minutes of our material, right? Because we were going to make it more about the tour, not the. Oh, so the they shows. were doing a documentary, thing. right? They, okay, they burned everything and they aired twelve episodes, right? That were like an hour long. They breached the contract basically, and they 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 shot your whole act, right? And then they they put that up front, right? And then all of a sudden they had. Six or no, they, they wouldn't put it put it up front. They would you know disperse it out throughout the whole well, that's series. Good. That's good at least. But we didn't want to do twelve episodes. We wanted to save them because we were going to do a movie. There was a whole plan behind it, and it's the it's the wild east. You could do whatever you want over yeah. there. Yeah, I'm sure you could do the movie, and they'd be just as happy now. So well, it's it's a and then we ended up having a falling out. They sent me the footage. I have it. I don't know if I. So they didn't it. air it. They did. They they aired uh, twelve episodes, and we were like these sort of overnight cult following sort of. You know, you, got, Aaron, and Maz. Yeah, Maz and Aaron and I would walk into a nightclub in any place in the Middle East, and people like were like fascinated. That's and fascinating. And I was like, "Wow!" I said, "I can't even." My agent won't even call me back in Hollywood, <laughs> but I'm like fucking huge here in <laughs> yeah. Jordan or whatever. Yeah. You know. So how did the King of Jordan? So we happen? so we get to Jordan, we're, and this is where we're sort of launching the tour, and four sold out shows. There's a buzz in Jordan. How big a room? Uh, it was a courtyard that held about 500 people. Mm. And they had like, you know, these little sort of um, food stands and shawarma, you know, sh things, and you can get a drink, and it was a very festive, nice stage. The radio station sponsored it. Uh -huh. <clears throat> um, uh, we, Maz and I were were in the the hotel was right next door to the venue, so Maz and I were up in our room, and uh, we were just kind of getting ready and stuff, and all of a sudden you hear this. Woo, 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 woo. Yeah. And we like we, we ran out and looked over the balcony and there was a motorcade yeah. pulling up up to the show yeah. with like secret service men running alongside this thing and people on the, and I was like, and our cell phones wouldn't work. They shut down the the really? frequencies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I go, I go, shit, I guess the king's here. Because we heard he was gonna come. We thought they were bullshitting us. I was like, Well, I guess the king's here. So we went to the venue and <clears throat> the guys were like, the promoters were like, Look, his majesty's here with his wife and their family. They're sitting right in the front. They're going to sit right in the front when they exit the cars. When he sits, the show starts. We're like, great. <laughs> he sits. 
show starts. I'm hosting, so I'm the first one up. I'm yeah. taking the bullet. I go up on stage. I'm welcoming everybody. This is so great. Jordan, you're the first country to bring us to the Middle East. Yeah. Give yourselves a big round of yeah. applause. They're going nuts. Yeah. They're secret service, man, all over the place, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'm like, <clears throat> you know, as you know, uh, I, I'd like to honor uh, His Majesty King Abdullah, who was able to make it to our show, and everybody went nuts. And I said, we're thankful that you're here, King Abdullah. And I cracked a joke, and he laughed, and I said, thank you for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said if you, but if you didn't think I was funny, you'd be like, throw him to the lions. You know? <laughs> yeah, and then um, what was the joke? It was Do you a remember? Show. Uh, I think I said something like, you know, sorry, we're running late. We call this AST Arab Standard Time or something, uh-huh. just some uh-huh. like a little generic joke, right. just to kind of get a little yeah. flair out there. And I was throwing a lifeline out. It's interesting shit. how quickly that you know you're in another country that obviously has you know a monarchy and a structure that is completely yeah. different than ours, but you immediately honored it. I mean, there was there was no. Well, it's, it, he's, it's the elephant in the room. You have to point him out. Yeah, the king. He's right there too. Yeah, and there's like it's like you know there's a barricade. He's like, isn't he like our age? He, yeah, he's like I think he's like early late forties, early fifties. It's interesting because after the show, we met him briefly and we like gave him some T-shirts for his kids and stuff like that. And we get a call the next day saying His Majesty wants to invite you to the palace to meet him in person. And I was like, oh, we were, we were all like, oh, we have to go get suits. Yeah. So we all went out and bought suits, like right there on the spot. And a car picked us up, and Maz and Aaron and I, uh, I'll never forget it, went to the uh, palace. And it was, it was like a, it's almost like a, uh, like a, like a military compound. Uh huh. And so we pulled up, and they checked us in, and we go into this little sort of office, and then, you know, we're waiting, and then they bring us into another office, and then he comes walking in. He's a short guy, by the way, yeah. he's not that tall. And he's like, hey, how you guys doing? Nice to meet you. I was at the show last night. It was very funny. And we're like, oh, thanks. Uh, and he's like, um, you know, so how, you know, how do you write your jokes? Yeah. And my, we're all looking at each other like, don't you have like a prime minister to meet with? Or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I thought it was hilarious. And I said, how do you, how'd you hear about us? And he said, uh, my cousin, who's Jordanian, lives in the States. And we did a Harley Davidson motorcycle ride from San Francisco to L.A., <laughs> Yeah. And at one of the stops, he pulled out your Axis of Evil DVD yeah. and said he had seen you guys in San Francisco, and he gave it to me to watch. And I watched it. I thought you were hilarious. He gave us a letter and the whole thing. Uh-huh. Um, so that's so funny. So he just heard you were in town? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah King is like, no joke. Yeah. And the funny thing, too, is uh, <clears throat> you know he loves comedy. They do this annual festival every year. Dino, Dino Bedola actually yeah. does this festival every year that I sort of had a hand in in the beginning. And... um it's called the Aman Stand-Up Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. They've been bringing out acts for the past three years. Uh, Omi Jalili, Gabriel Glacius, Maz, Aaron, myself. But Russell Peters went out there twice. And the king, like, gave him a watch, the first, you know, $15,000 watch, I think, the first time around. And the second time around, he invited Russell to his house. And they were, like, sort of... King Abdullah? Yeah. Uh-huh. The guy you met for a few minutes? Right. Now Russell's getting the prince treatment? Not only that, he cooked for him. So now are you kind of thinking, where's my watch? Yeah, yeah. send me something, man. Yeah, yeah, come on. So, you know, give me an honorable mention or mm-hmm. something. They were shooting, like, in a shooting range. They were, uh, apparently they were having some drinky drink. Yeah. And Russell went on George Lopez and talked about his experience. And um, apparently, like, didn't sit well with the majesty. Really? So he yeah. took his watch back? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I I was I was told by a few sources that uh, he didn't take you know he 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 wasn't very happy with that because they they don't want their 
personal be seen lives like that. being right. exposed. Oh, interesting. And he went so he broke the brotherhood. Yeah, you're supposed to. Re- he didn't respect the king. What happens in the in the compound yeah, stays, stays in the, in the compound. Come on, what are you doing, bro? It's like fucking Vegas, man. Yeah, yeah. Come on, they, they're not supposed to know we're human, bro. I'm married with three kids too. Come on, man. But uh, yeah, so it was interesting. They're doing these tours where you know we get the the you know we've Queen Noor has actually been to one of our shows in D.C. And, uh-huh. You know that whole thing went great. We did the tour. We kind of that's we, the mother. That's the mother, who, yeah. Yeah, the widow of who, King Hussein. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a lot of VIPs come to our shows and stuff, and our, the fan fair was amazing, and it really built this great uh, infrastructure was for there, comedy. Uh, outside of uh, flack on the internet and, and being exiled from Dubai, was did you have any uh, um, sort of uh, resistance in person when you did any of these shows? From people physically? Yeah, physically. Like coming or, up to me? Or, um, every once in a while, somebody would walk by and say, you know, Ahmed, uh, this joke you do, it's not very good for Islam, okay? But can you sign this for my daughter? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you cut back on the a little edge sure. for my, you know. Right, right, right. But people normally- But you're not a dirty guy, so it's really nah, about Islam then. It's more, I, I, I'm fascinated by religion. Only because it was pounded in my fucking head. Well, that's what we started with, is that, you, so you're brought up fairly religious. I mean, yeah. I mean, my parents, they pray five times a day. They practice Ramadan. They give it to charity. My mom's a saint. You know, mm-hmm. my, they're very, they, they fear God um, in a very innocent way. And and they're very honest people and hardworking. What kind of business? My dad moved here. Actually, funny enough, my dad, um, <laughs> when he first moved to the States, his whatever degree and training he had back home. Uh-huh. It made no sense here, so he had to start from scratch. What, what could that possibly be? He was an engineer back then. Okay, and so uh, but he, they just you know he, his English wasn't that great, and he wasn't American educated, so he he was he pumped gas at a Shell gas station for a buck seventy five an hour, and worked his way up to where he actually bought into the gas station. Then he started owning other gas stations, and he bought an automotive shop, and he was the town mechanic for most of his life. And, uh-huh. and we owned a restaurant at one point, a Middle Eastern food restaurant before falafel was cool. Yeah. How'd that do? It it broke even for five years and then they shut it down and about a year later this like homos and tabuli yeah, train explosion. Came out. Yeah, and yeah. My dad was like, Oh, if you only waited a year, you know <laughs> back to the gas station. Back to the gas station. Uh-huh. My mom was housewife, you know, raising six kids. I have four sisters and a brother. So what did it look like to grow up in uh in, in a religiously Muslim household? I mean what we we were like How the, many brothers and sisters? Four sisters and a brother. Big six, family. six of us, yeah. We we were like the Arab Munsters. <laughs> we, on, we were like man. the Arab Adam family. We were. We were like the weird family on the block because my my mom was always cooking, you know, stuff with like spices that Americans weren't used to, like cumin and sure. you know stuff like that, garlic and mm-hmm. all these weird fumes would be you know. And you bring you bring friends over and you'd have to. They're explain. like, yeah, what are they? You know, what's yeah. your mom cooking? Yeah. Cow brains yeah. or you know whatever. Um, and my dad, you know, he was a night owl, so he'd sit up till three, four in the morning, watering the grass, smoking cigarettes by you know watering by hand yeah so the neighbors are always like what are you doing out there for you know so not so you were re- religiously odd and then actually odd. and on top of that my because my parents only ate halal food or kosher sure. food meat, yeah. they had to they didn't sell it back then in the 70s at stores so my dad had to drive to fontana california with our station wagon and load up he'd go to a farm and load up the station wagon with chickens and ducks and rabbits and do it himself and, and they'd bring it back we had a the live meat locker basically in our backyard really and every day around five my mom or earlier my mom and dad would go out to the backyard and they'd pick out a chicken and my dad would hold it down and say the muslim prayer please bless this soul and our family have sustenance no and my mom would do the, the there's a way you 
sacrifice they say cut yeah. the head off so the animal doesn't suffer <clears throat> and uh you know she, you know it's like clash of the titans she's holding <laughs> up this head and she's got blood all over her and i was like ah! and, and we were eating dinner by you know by 9 p.m the funny thing was the kids would come over during the day from the neighborhood and play with the rabbits or the chickens or whatever and they'd come back to find their favorite rabbit they're playing with and it was gone they're like what happened to fluffy <laughs> yeah we ate him. <laughs> we're eating his sister tonight. That's his cousin. That's his. So well, we. That's so it was. What, there was an oddity of you know. It was odd. So it was mostly chickens and rabbits. Yeah, I mean, my you know, my mom was always about organic, fresh. We we didn't eat a lot of like, f you know, processed food growing up. She cooked everything. Like, but in you, terms of livestock, you didn't have pigs. Or you can't no. eat pigs, anyways. But uh, the, you didn't have any uh, goats. Uh, she would on special like lamb basically like if we had like a whenever somebody got married whenever yeah. whenever somebody died you'd have to get a live a baby, lamb they go to the thing they get a lamb a live one uh, no they would have it you know killed at the farm but my mom would prepare it so my dad would how did they pray over it if it if it was killed at the farm or was it a Muslim owned farm. <laughs> that's a good question i think my dad was like in on it i think he was like right there oh, okay. uh, actually uh, you know uh, what uh, and now that i think about it my dad would bring a muslim imam to Wait, the farm. Oh, really? And, From, be, and before they'd hang it up on the, you know, on the by its legs. So they go. Oh, really? And my bit, my before they would kill it. The a Muslim. Is that true? Imam, yeah. He had a friend who was an imam. There yeah. was a mosque in you know, Riverside. Yeah, it was a small mosque. Oh, so he would go down there with him. Huh. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then they would do it for you know weddings whenever somebody like a baby was born, funerals, through the lamb, graduation mm -hmm. during Ramadan, and you know it was a full blown lamb. Like it was wasn't like chopped up in a sure lamb yeah, pieces. Yeah. It was like a you know yeah. carcass. Yeah. And my mom would stuff it and butter it and pepper it and salt it and like prepare this thing and you know she'd feed fifty people, hundred people. That's pretty amazing. And and when and so you were you were you were dropping to your knees five times a day for most of your childhood or what? Younger, you know, I was in and out. I was in and out of my Muslim, <laughs> my Muslim uh, <laughs> lifestyle. You know, it was interesting. Back in the eighties, do you remember the the Iran Contra yeah. era? So we used to get death threats, and like people would call our house and say, "Go back to your country." Oh, really? Stupid, you know, whatever. Yeah, and we'd yeah. be like, "Dude, we're Egyptian. Dude, if you're going to be racist, go get it right. Focus. Yeah, go read a, you know, go get, Google <laughs> do some it. Some research." So we'd have like nails under our car, TP, you know, it, it got a little weird. Um, now, when you went to Egypt to tour, did you see family? I did. I did. We, uh, <clears throat> we, well, the first time I went, I mean, every time I go to Egypt to do shows, I try to go see my family, which is right outside uh, of Cairo in Helwan. And they're like, not to, you know, uh, discredit who they are as people, but they're very sort of third world, primitive donkeys and goats and women cooking corn on the side of the road it looks like something out of national geographic uh -huh. or, um and we actually during our film we took the camera crew and filmed in there it looks like really something like on the back lot of warner brothers or something it's yeah a, yeah my camera guys were like wow dude i feel like we're on a movie set so let's okay so let's see so you you went back when you went to egypt and you went to visit family you had the camera crew with you right now when did you start getting into show business because i don't know when you you somehow aligned yourself with Vince Vaughn, right? Vince, uh, you know, well, so growing up in Riverside, uh, I'll just kind of give you a little backstory because yeah. this sort of where it's, where it's all spawned. Uh, I graduated high school barely, um, went to junior high school, tried to play football and sports, and I was going to try to make my parents happy to go into college and study what they wanted me to study. And I was literally in class one day and just left my bag and walked out and went home of high school or junior high uh junior college oh junior college okay and uh my mom was like it's two o'clock in the afternoon you're supposed to be in class and i'm like yeah i just quit she's like 
right. sort of freaking out. Well, what are you going to do? My dad, you know, was in on it. And I said, I'm going to move to Hollywood and be an actor. I really want to be an actor and a, and a comedian. I, I like the entertainment industry. And my dad was like, you are a gay. A gay? Are you a gay? Yeah. I'm like, it's not a gay, dad. It's just gay. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. no. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we'll see. So yeah, let me let me get down there first. <laughs> I've been in Riverside all my life, right? And I had been to LA on certain occasions with my folks, but it was a, for me it was like the big going to tackle the yeah. big beast, and it was only an hour drive. Yeah. So I would so I I, I moved to Los Angeles. I started doing extra work. Um, I didn't move there actually, and you weren't doing back. comedy yet. I wasn't doing comedy. I was nineteen. I didn't move down there yet. I would do, I would commute back and forth doing extra work. Like on what? The first extra job I ever got was on an after-school special called The Fourth Man mm-hmm. with Peter Billingsley, mm-hmm. who was the kid from A Christmas Story, Ralphie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and this was when his career just was starting to go the other way as an yeah. actor. Yeah. Because uh, he was like a big child star and had all this acclaim and and uh, and uh, Vince Vaughn. And it was about Peter playing this nerd who f- uh, fell in love with this hot sort of athletic girl who was played by Nicole Eggert from Baywatch and Charles in Charge. Mm-hmm. And the only reason, the only way she would date him is if he played on a sports team. But he wasn't good at anything because he was a nerd. Yeah. So he joined the track team but he wasn't fast enough so he took steroids. Mm-hmm. And, and there's fit, the, here comes the moral. Right. And Vince Vaughn played the best friend who was like, I'm going to tell the coach if uh-huh. you don't finish and, What's Vince got to be, 19? We were all 19, yeah. yeah. And I and I was an extra. I played yeah. the guy in the track team who rolled his eyes when he walked by. Like, look at this loser. That was your big moment? That rolling big your moment. eyes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I almost got my SAG card that day, and the producer decided not to give it to me. But um, but we all met on that and became friends. And and uh, I just thought Vince, you know, he walked on set. Nobody knew who he was. He walked on set, and I was like, "Who's this character?" He's like, he's a little taller than you. He's like six five. And you're what? Big guy. I'm like six two. Uh huh. But he when he walked on set, he just had this crazy presence about him, and he uh-huh. was snapping jokes, and he was sort of holding court. And I was like, "Who's this guy?" Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it just came out of the sky. Yeah. And. I was an extra, so we had to sit at the extra table eating our sandwiches. And he had he had his little uh, honey wagon trailer, uh-huh. and I had walked past his trailer. His doors open, and we had made we had exchanged a couple words when we were on set. And when I walked by, he he gave me the like, "What's up, man?" And I was like, "What's up?" And he's like, "You know, come in here and have lunch." And I was like, "Oh, you know, I can't. I'm an extra." <laughs> you know, he yeah. was an actor. It was uh-huh. like, you know, there was that wall. He's but like, there wasn't, but yeah, it wasn't really forbidden. You're no, I just, I wasn't sure. It was my yeah, first yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, I want to respect the set yeah. and stuff. So uh, he's like, ah, come on, there, you'll be fine. So I walked in. And I, I had lunch with him in his trailer, you know, for like an hour. We bonded right away on several different things. Uh-huh. Like and what? Music, sports, girls. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he was sort of like the big fish in the little pond yeah. in, his, in his high school, and uh-huh. I, w- I was too. Uh-huh. Like I, I was voted most popular oh, yeah. when I was a senior in high school, and uh-huh. I was a sort of like the rallier. And yeah. so he was this sort of same way. Yeah. We were, you know, he's part Lebanese, so we connected on the Arab tip a little bit. Uh-huh. And, um, and he is part Lebanese. Yeah, his dad's uh, his dad is a uh, half Lebanese. Huh. In fact, in, in Wedding Crashers, Owen Wilson refers to him as Baba Ganoush. Uh huh. And, and that's why that's a, a Lebanese uh, dip. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> know it was, <laughs> I didn't know it was a Lebanese dip, isn't it? Uh, well, it's Arabic, but yeah. he he just referenced sure, it. But sure. uh, no, so so he we ended up uh, he was taking classes, acting classes with a guy named Cliff Osmond, uh-huh. and he said you should really study if you really want to be an actor, you should try taking classes with this guy Cliff Osmond. So I did, and I'd go down to L.A. once a week and take these acting classes, and then I eventually moved into Vince's place on Rossmore, and with Peter. So there was three of us living in a one bedroom 
condo on Rossmore. Mm-hmm. It was like straight out of a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were some of the greatest creative moments of or times of, of my starting out as a, as a actor and stuff because we were just so forced to just do whatever it took. And you're all jamming around doing auditions. And auditions. I was waiting tables. I was a personal trainer. Peter was trying to get his meetings and stuff going. Vince was auditioning for a lot of stuff and getting passed on a lot of stuff. And then he finally got cast in Rudy where he met John Favreau. Right. And then they wrote Swingers together based on that whole scene and time of our lives. And that's Were you guys going out to those clubs? Yeah, like six nights a week. The swing clubs? You know, like the Derby. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. You know, all those little dark rooms. Uh-huh. And, and when that was popular, the when the swing dancing came right, back. Yeah. Right. And and so we did that. And then, you know. So you were seeing kids, Hollywood kids. Yeah. Running around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were fun. Sure. I, you know, I, I, I look at it now. It's a different scene now with the techno music and shit no, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah. It was a sort of a weird window. It was a it was a hipster scene at that time. That I remember when that swing shit was right, around. Right. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we, but we didn't, our crew, we didn't try to act like we were, we were like, you know, we were so go- kind of goofy and nerdy. Like, we were just you know, looking for girls. We were, but we weren't like the, the hey, yeah. you know. Did we you know how to dance? Yeah, it was a decent day. Oh, swing dance? Yeah. No, I wasn't that good as a at swing dancing. How about but, uh, Vince? I don't think he was that good either. Favreau? John Favreau was good because yeah. he took classes and stuff. Yeah. Um, but then everybody sort of kind of, that movie really, you know, launched a lot of people's careers, even the editor. And, and you were in that, up, right? I had like three lines in the movie. And didn't yeah. you have a long hair and a beard? And- yeah. It was right after, it was right around the time I was, um, I, had a, I was playing a terrorist, an executive decision. And uh, they were filming right around the same time, and Favreau was like, hey, I got this little part in my movie. And I was like, oh, I look like a terrorist. He's like, oh, who cares? Just pull your hair back and wear a jacket. You'll be fine. And so I walked up, just kind of walked through this scene. I said yeah. a couple words, yeah. and I ended up in the movie. And But everybody pretty much went on to, to have a career after yeah. that, in that, in some way, shape, or form. And when does comedy come in? Well, you know, Mark, I'll tell you, <laughs> when I was... When I was when I, I thought when I hit twenty five, I for sure was going to have a fucking you know awesome career as an actor. Sure. I was going to be the Brad Pitt of Egypt or whatever, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> and then uh, yeah. and I found myself um, playing uh, supporting roles in uh, in movies as a terrorist and cab drivers. Um, and then, you know, it was like I guess it was right around the time. It was like I think it was ninety seven. I called my agent at the time. And I said, hey, I want to just go out for the character who has brown hair, who's the neighbor. Right. And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, you know you're know, you not ever going to take get those roles because, you know, your name, you should change your name. And I'm like, to what? She's like, change it to Rick. <laughs> I go, I don't, I don't look like a Rick. I look like Habibi or something. You know, I look yeah. like a- yeah, Change it to Habibi. I look like Osama. <laughs> yeah. Right now, even. And she goes, well, if you don't change your name, you're not going to be considered for that stuff. And I said, well- I don't really want to go off for these parts anymore. I was making a good living too. What kind of movies were you in? Just like, well, I did, uh, I was in Executive Decision. I played uh, Terrorist and Steel Sharks. I was in Tracy Ullman's uh, Tracy Takes On. I was on Roseanne. What'd you play on Roseanne? Terrorist. (laughs) And and Tracy (laughs) Ullman sing? Uh, I played a sleazy Arab prince Uh who was trying to buy her as a sex slave. Uh Remember that show she had, Tracy Takes On? Which never aired, mind you. Uh Uh-huh. Because they said it was too edgy, they oh, want yeah. insult Arabs. Sure. Um, so, uh, so, I, she, I said, "Well, you know, I think I'm gonna take a break." She's like, "Why? Wow, you're doing great. You're getting called in for a lot of stuff. You're making good money." And I was like, I, "You know, I'm an artist. I want to create. I want to yeah. go outside of this little bubble I'm in. I'm yeah. stuck. I painted myself in a corner for yeah. fuck's sake." Yeah. 
And she said, well, uh, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'll let you know. But if something comes up, that's good. Call me. Otherwise, don't pick up the phone. I'd appreciate it. And the phone never rang after that. And so I ran out of money, uh, became broke again. I started sleeping on Vince Vaughn's couch again. <laughs> and um, I went back at to At that work. time, did he have a nicer couch? He was where the was same he at place? the time? I think it was the same place. I was there just temporarily uh -huh. because I ended up getting a job in Pasadena at Twin Palms Restaurant working as a waiter. I had yeah. to go back to waiting tables. Then I moved to Pasadena. I completely just ejected from Hollywood for a minute. It's uh, brutal. Went, went back to waiting tables like four nights a week, making good money. Um, was it, uh, attending the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Yeah. Because I wanted to go back and get my craft, you know, in home. place. Yeah. You know, we were, we were studying Shakespeare, dance and movement, voice, all this stuff, theater history. And um, it was while I was waiting tables is where I sort of, I always thought I could do stand up because I was a pretty decent storyteller and I wasn't really like a joke, joke kind of guy, but I can get little funnies here and there. Yeah. And as a waiter, I was killing and tips. Yeah. Because the food wasn't great where we worked. So you had to make it up for service. Right. So I'd sometimes make three, four, five hundred bucks a night. Where the other waiters were making like a buck fifty and they were like, How are you getting so much tips? I'm like, I'm just making my customers laugh. <laughs> and so um this one woman came in, I'll never forget it. This one woman came in probably in her eighties, white bluish hair, uh -huh. looked like a widow, you know, uh -huh. tons of jewelry, looked like she was loaded, old yeah. old Pasadena, some yeah, Pasadena yeah. money. And sitting on uh, each side of her uh were all of her sons, she had like five sons uh -huh. uh, who were like just gay as Christmas. Like, yeah. Like flam, like yeah. screaming, you know. Yeah. But, but also, but very, you know, ascots uh -huh. and very, but very openly, you know, gay. And um, I was making them laugh all night and she was taking my ring and we were just kind of jibbing and jabbing. And at the end of the night, she tipped me like two, three hundred bucks. And I said, I can't take this. It's too much. She said, take it. I'll be insulted. I said, thank you. And she goes, I got to tell you something. We come here all the time. And we don't come here for the food. We come here for the service. You gave us exceptional service, and you're very funny. You should be a comedian. And I and and when she said that, like <laughs> it's a big restaurant. There's 500 yeah. people. There's yeah. a band playing. There's yeah. tables burning everywhere. And so I just kind of stopped and looked at her. It was almost like the sky split open. <laughs> oh, and, you know, she <laughs> yeah. kind of had me in this cryptic moment. Yeah. And yeah. I go, I go, you think you know funny? And she goes, of course I do. Look at all my sons. <laughs> And they were like, mother, <laughs> touche, mother. And then um, yeah. she I, she disappeared. Uh, about a week later, I was driving down Ventura Boulevard. And they used to have, I don't know if you remember it, the LA Cabaret Comedy Club. Yeah, yeah. I drove past, I'd never seen it. I just accidentally, you know, stumbled upon it. And I, I love oh, Comedy Club. I pulled in. They had a f sign on the window that said Tuesday night, which was that night. Open mic, sign up at six, go on at seven. Signed up. Walked across the street to the coffee shop, pulled out a pen and a napkin. I wrote down three or four premises about my family. Mm -hmm. Went back up on stage in front of 40 comedians, talked about my family. They laughed. And I was like, I got this one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, 15 years later, I'm still renting. <laughs> <clears throat> so had I known that was going to be my journey, Mark, maybe I would have reconsidered. But um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I stumbled into comedy because I just wanted to have more of a voice. And I did... You know what comedians do? I did seven nights a week. Two, I was trying to get up coffee shops, this, yeah. that, whatever. Open mic. I right. drive all over the place. Work for a beer. Work for a quarter. Work mm -hmm. for a dollar. Get a hamburger. So let's get to the movie. Well, funny should I talk about that little tiny project. Um, 
Well, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, in coming, you know, you brought up your dad being part of it and you filmed in Egypt. I mean, yeah. how, how did that all come together? Well, What's it called? It's called Just Like Us. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it's interesting because Just Like Us sort of spawned from the rubble of Axis of Evil when we, uh -huh. when we dismantled. Maz and I did a follow-up tour uh, in the Middle East and there was this, this discrepancy because we all own a third of the name. Yeah. So we were, by law, not allowed to use it. So there was a sort of some in-house arguing about that. So we decided to call uh, our follow-up tour from the guys who brought you access of you, uh -huh. Ahmed, Maz, and friends, and um, some people weren't happy about that. But um, <clears throat> we did that, but we didn't film it, and it was sort of scattered through the 2008 year. Uh -huh. 2009, another tour was formulated and set up, and um, in four different countries, and. You know, some of the countries was like Tom Papa, Whitney Cummings, uh, Omid Jalili, Maz was there, Eric Griffin, Sebastian, um, Ted Alexandro uh -huh. is on it, um, and uh, Tommy Davidson, I believe. And uh, about four days before we were about to head off for the tour, my business partner in New York said, are you going to film this tour? I said, no. He said, why? I said, um, <laughs> a, little, a little moolah, yeah. yeah. And he said... Uh, he said, fuck it, I'll sign the check yesterday. You got to capture this lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And so uh, I thought he was joking, but the next day there was, you know, a considerable amount of money in my bank account, and he said, get it done, you know? So I hired two camera guys in like four days, and really guerrilla style type of filmmaking. They followed me around the Middle East for a month, and we traveled to Dubai, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, end of the tour in New York. The movies, a sort of chronological travel log in that sequence through, uh -huh. through my eyes all the comics were showcased beautifully in the movie the crowds were really responsive it's really a celebration of culture and comedy uh, family how laughter you know provides tolerance understanding and healing we called it just like us because we wanted to show that arabs and muslims on that side of the world laugh just like us over here despite our cultural and religious differences and um at american comedy at American comedy. And, you know, you have to remember, like, these guys are doing jokes, you know, like they would do at the comedy club. Sure, I know these you guys, know? yeah. Uh, with the restrictions of a couple, you know, topics and, and sort of taboo, you know, th topics that they don't want you to, you know, bring up. But uh, we premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival last year. Got the blessing from De Niro. Uh, great turnout. That sort of opened us up to go to what we've been People in. like the movie? Yeah, people responded to it really well. It's now, what did you find in, in essence of, uh, you know, what translates? I mean, it, you know, growing up in an Egyptian household and, and knowing that, you know, there, it's a generational thing. Yeah. I mean, was there, you know, outside of the audiences you were performing for, is there a sensibility that is in, innately Arabic in terms of humor that you saw uh, uh, sort of fading I mean, I, when you grew up with your father, or when you when you're around other Egyptians, I mean, what is the style of comedy? What was funny, you know, before American stand-up sort of filled that void? Well, okay, first of all, in Egypt, there are, there are approximately 300 million people, and about 70 percent are under the age of 30. Mm -hmm. And this is the YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Blackberry. right? So they've seen it, right? Um, before stand-up, before American contemporary American stand-up comedy was introduced to the Middle East. They had comedy, but it was more satire, like plays or like guys doing like loud one-man shows 
um, you know, puppet shows. It was very sort of um, broad and, and broad yeah. and not really there no not really like a point of and, view. And dealing with probably um, sort of story themes, storytelling. Yeah. Sometimes they get political if uh-huh. it was in the underground and stuff. But then you know you really can criticize the government in the because Middle Egyptian East. You know, Cairo is very it's very westernized and has been for years. Yeah, well, the whole a lot of the Middle East is. And, yeah, and so when you you know like. I'll give you an example. I've been in the Middle East, and I'll have Arab guys come up to me and be like, "Hey, uh, bro, do you know Jeff Dunham?" Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, not personally, but yeah. I know. Yeah, I know he is. Like, man, the guy is so fucking funny, bro. Yeah, he yeah. has 40 million hits on YouTube, man. Yeah, I watch yeah. it all the time in the office. You know, it's like they love that Pablo yeah. Francisco. They know. Sure, Russell Peters is huge over there. That's pretty broad stuff too. It's broad stuff, you know. Yeah. Sebastian, Whitney, Sebastian do well. They kill. They love him over there. You know, uh, Eric Griffin did really well over there. But they're doing, you know, Sebastian's doing his jokes about going to Starbucks, sure. and, You know, dating girls with a half top, and so it more to... it more speaks to the idea that y- what many Americans may think are Arabs or Arab speaking countries and how they picture them is is primitive, and that yeah. Yeah, that the connect- and it is in some cases sure, but no, I, the I majority the majority is very Western. And, uh, you know, we, we were we were really privileged and blessed to be able to shoot in certain areas where you normally wouldn't be able to shoot. I felt like we, our film was a little peephole into the Middle East that the Western media never shows. And, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a breath of fresh air. And know. how did your father steal the movie? Well, <clears throat> you know, we go back to my homeland where I was born in Helluland where he yeah. was raised. And uh-huh. we go into the village and then we intercut his interviews back in the States. And he he has a couple jokes that he does up front. At one point, he gets choked up. You, you think he's going to start crying. And then he kind of tags the movie in the very end with an awesome soundbite. And people are like, when we, when we did test uh, screenings for fo- you know focus groups, we had people fill out questionnaires. We kind of, we kind of bulletproof sure, the movie. Sure, sure, sure. Let the audience edit it. And we asked, one of the questions was, who's your favorite character? And like 98% said to my dad. And, and what without spoiling the movie, what was it a personal story that he and, told? Yeah, personal stuff. And then he, he just—he he, people just loved him. He's just a likable guy. He thinks he needs an agent now. Oh, good. Like, well, he's like, oh, maybe I should uh, get the manager. Did you go? Are you gay? <laughs> <laughs> I should have said that. It's a good comeback. It's a good callback. I should. So, how can we see this movie, uh, Ahmed? Well, the film. Um, we recently we after Tribeca, we just to give you a little backstory on how the distribution thing rolled out. We attended and were selected in the twenty three international film festivals. Mm-hmm. The response was across the board really, really, um, really great. And uh, um, we did a deal with Might Entertainment through Lionsgate. Mm-hmm. They're going to do a video on demand, mm-hmm. so you'll be able to download it on, uh, you know, digitally or or on whatever pay per view. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a website just like us, themovie.com. We are premiering the film in New York and L.A. on June 6th and June 8th. And it'll be in selected theaters in 10 cities starting out June 10th. Well, that's great, man. Well, congratulations on that. I'm glad that uh, that, that all came together for you. It was great talking to you. Oh, man, I appreciate you uh, having me on the show. And uh, we've had some good laughs today. This is, uh, it was this is good, refreshing. Yeah. It was good. Different nice from time. the comedy store, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to know you. You know what I mean? Finally, right? I know. You never knew all this stuff about me. No, it's very exciting. And uh, good luck with the movie. Thanks, brother. Okay, that's our show. We learned something new. New cultural elements. I, I love talking to people that uh, have a unique life experience, because, it, but not even one that I would even begin to understand because it's from another country. Uh, it's great talking to Ahmed Ahmed. You can go see Ahmed Ahmed's film, Just Like Us. That seems to be opening June 10th 
uh, in New York City, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, California, June 17th in Minneapolis, Chicago, San Francisco, June 24th in Dallas, Texas, July 8th in Boston, but it's getting out there. So uh, that was the movie we talked about. It sounds interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Look, also, if I could, without getting too crazy, there are more episodes available at WTFPodShop.com. Uh, Zach Galifianakis, Maria Bamford, Bob Odenkirk, Jim Norton, Patrice O'Neill, Doug Stanhope, many more. Attell, Louis C.K., you know the story. There are now 24 classic episodes available. You can only get them at WTFPodShop.com and at iTunes under WTF Premium or by getting one of the WTF Premium apps where you get full access to all past episodes in a streaming form. JustCoffee.coop, as always, WTFPod.com. Get on the mailing list. Get in it. Get done. Get. I'm saying that to myself. I'm done. I'm done. We're done here. Thanks. Thanks.